0: Can you imagine how ridiculous it would be? I mean, you can kind of see in that video how ridiculous it would be if adults acted like toddlers. I mean, imagine for a second with me that you walk into work tomorrow, and uh, you, you go to a meeting, and you get out, you go to your office, sit in your chair for a little bit, and then you realize that your chair spins, and you just start spinning around in your chair, and you're just like, I'm so bored and you've just like sat there for an hour and did that. Or imagine if you went to lunch with a client from work and you go out to a restaurant and you order something that looks good and they bring it to your table and you look at it and you say, that looks icky. I don't want that. And and your client says, you haven't even tried it yet. And you're like, it looks weird. I don't. I don't want to eat that. Or... Imagine if your boss starts saying something to you that you don't want to hear, that you don't like, and and you just proceed to put your fingers in your ears and just say, la, 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 I can't hear you, I don't want to hear you. Like, that would be really silly if we saw adults acting like that, and you could see that in the video. And one thing it didn't show in that video, which is maybe the... Epitome of all toddler symptoms, some that some of you know more well than you would like, is called the meltdown, AKA the temper tantrum. How many of you have seen in full-blown action the temper tantrum? I mean, is that not the epitome of a toddler? where when a child is in full tantrum mode there is no reasoning with child there is no calming child there is no touching child with a 10-foot pole because during a temper tantrum child throws all reason out the window And instead of trying to communicate, reverts back to screaming and crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And and that is the temper tantrum. I mean, can you imagine, especially when you think of a temper tantrum, how not just silly but downright terrifying it would be to see a full-grown adult throw a temper tantrum? And some of you might be thinking, oh, trust me, I've seen it. And it's not pretty. And a temper tantrum is about as far as it gets from being a grown-up. Why? Because we expect that grown-ups know better how to communicate their thoughts and feelings. Instead of whining and, and stomping or wailing, in fact, many a brave soul has used a common phrase to try to coax the child back out of the beast. Using the phrase, use your words. Use your words. Because words are so very useful for trying to communicate, are they not? See, being able to use our words is a sign of maturity. It's one of the milestones that we we look for in a child. We look for that that first sounds cooing and we and then the, the first word and then phrase and then full blown sentences and conversations. It's what we look for when a child is growing up. Being able to use our words is a sign of maturity. And the same thing is true for spiritual maturity. Knowing how to use our words. Is a sign of spiritual maturity. And one of the most crucial forms of words, conversations, that Scripture talks about is prayer. Our ability to communicate with God. See, if the tantrum is the epitome of the toddler, prayer is the epitome of the grown up Christian. And the inability, or unwillingness to communicate, aka a tantrum, is a sure sign of a baby Christian. And some of us might just need to grow up and start using our words. Now, just like learning to speak or communicate well as a child growing into adulthood is, is a process, learning to understand prayer can be a bit of a process. Doesn't need, it mean, doesn't mean it needs to be difficult. In fact, some of us have actually taken this, this concept of prayer and we've overcomplicated it. We've made it far too difficult. And what we almost need to do is relearn how to pray. In the book of Matthew, and if you want to go ahead and turn there, that's where we'll be camping out this morning. In the book of Matthew, Jesus gives his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapters 5 through 7, he gives us some vital tips on how to grow up in our faith. And right in the middle of that sermon, 5 through 7, right in the middle, in chapter 6, he offers the very basics of what it is. To pray. And in a sense, here, he's reteaching the people to pray, to use their words. Because Jesus recognized that many of them had developed almost an immature understanding of prayer. And he describes that immaturity in prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. He says, And when you pray, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, Jesus assumed here that they were, in fact, already praying. He didn't say, if you pray, he said, when you pray. And these people thought that they knew how to pray, because they were, they were Jews. They had watched religious leaders of their day pray since they were little. In fact, prayer was one of the three marks of a pious, good Jew. And so they thought they knew how to pray. And then the Gentiles who were in the crowd, well, they thought they knew how to pray because for Gentiles to pray to their pagan gods, they would say these incantations over and over and over because they thought if they repeated those words enough times, maybe they would hear. So the Gentiles were were familiar with with prayer. I mean, they, they thought they knew what prayer was, But they had developed an immature way of praying. It's almost like in the video where you, where you see the man acting like a toddler and, and kind of reverting back to saying things that a a child would say back to like baby talk maybe. It's like having your third grader revert back to baby talk. And it's just silly. I remember being a third grader and I reverted back to baby talk and my mom yelled at me every time. And I didn't realize how silly it was until my nephew came to visit us this summer and brought out the baby talk. And I was like, okay, you got to stop that. I'm going crazy with the baby talk. And, And I, it's just silly. It's annoying. Nobody has time for that. No one has time for baby talk. Jesus said here, don't pray like that. Don't bring out the baby talk. Don't pray like that. I don't need you to talk to me like an impatient child, like dad, 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 dad. Hey, dad, 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 dad. dad. Hey, hey, dad. I I don't need that. He says, don't, don't like throw a temper tantrum. I don't, I don't need you like in the middle of Walmart throwing a temper tantrum at me. Which I'm not a parent, but I know you parents have to deal with that, and it's not a pretty sight in the middle of the store, and it's it's hard to to reel your child back in from that. You don't need to revert back to baby talk. Jesus says, you don't need to do any of those things. They're immature. And so he takes them back to the basics. Prayer 101. To teach them how to grow up and pray. And so to teach them this lesson, he, by far the greatest teacher to ever live, demonstrated the most basic lesson in prayer with What many of us know by heart, the Lord's Prayer. So if you would follow along with me, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, it's important here to recognize that Jesus said to pray like this. It doesn't mean you have to pray these exact words, though by, by no means is that a bad thing. But in any lesson you learn in school, there's a difference between learning the lesson and just regurgitating the information. This is meant to be a lesson in prayer, an example of how we should pray. And while there are literally books written entirely on the subject of prayer, and you could read passage after passage of lessons in scripture about prayer, I want us to focus today on just two very basic truths from this particular prayer that not only help us define prayer, but also teach us how to pray and what prayer really is. And so the first of those basic truths is this. Prayer begins with a clear focus on God and his kingdom prayer begins with a clear focus on God and his kingdom, who he is and what he does. Jesus begins, our father. Now, we need to understand, for the Jews of that day, this idea of calling God father was totally foreign. No one had ever called God father The Old Testament paints this picture of a a holy, unseeable, untouchable God. I mean, you can just read passage after passage of, of God's holiness. I mean, that's what the entire Old Testament is built around, God as holy. And he still is all of those things. But the New Testament offers this picture of God as Father. And it started right here in jesus prayer here in john chapter 17 we get to read arguably jesus second most famous prayer it's what we call the high priestly prayer and in it he says to god speaking to his father he says i have made your name known to them your name father And that's what he he came to do, to introduce us to his Father. Now some of you guys know this about me. I love introducing people to something that I know they will love. And some of you have been the recipient of this. If I see a movie or read a book or try a new food or restaurant, and and I am in the middle of that, and I think of someone who would love it, I love, it's it's almost like a hobby for me to introduce that person to that thing because I know how much they're going to love it. And that's how Jesus is. He loves to make that introduction and the greatest introduction he's making here is for us to know the Father the way that he does. Jesus wanted us to know the Father and to experience the joy of knowing God, not just as holy God, but as Father. God is our Father. But then he doesn't abandon the idea of the Old Testament God either, because he says, Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed means holy, separate, consecrated. And just as God himself is holy, so too is his name holy. It should be recognized and revered as holy. That's why in Exodus, in the Ten Commandments, God, God told the people to not misuse his name because it's not just God that's holy. His name is holy. His holy name above all names. And this, this concept was a little bit more familiar to the people. This holy God, holy name, hallowed be your name, and so in this model of prayer, what Jesus is doing here is offering a new perspective on who God is. He is holy and he is father. Jesus is bridging that gap between the old and the new. It's almost like he's, he's inviting royalty into our living rooms. It's like having the Queen of England over for tea. We recognize that as queen, she, she's royalty. She has authority. She's, she's the queen. But here she is sitting on my couch, and I'm offering her tea and scones, and, and we're just chatting, and, and she's drinking from my teacup. And, and it's like she's just sitting over there saying, oh, just call me Lizzie, but I'm still the queen. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's kind of this weird balance of queen in my living room and it doesn't change her power or authority as queen but it makes her accessible and i I feel like i can actually talk to her and and know her jesus is making the holy god of the new of the old testament knowable And then he gives us a clear focus of what God does. Remember, clear focus of who God is, what he does. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. What does God do? He reigns. He is seated in heaven, ruling heaven and earth and everything in it. Then, now, and forevermore and his kingdom isn't limited like like earthly monarchs to physical borders rather the word kingdom implies the authority to rule and reign whatever the king wills is he has that authority all authority in heaven and on earth and so prayer first begins with a clear focus on God and his kingdom. That's number one. The second basic truth that Jesus teaches in this lesson 101 on prayer is this. Prayer places us in proper perspective. Prayer places us in proper perspective, specifically who we are and what we cannot do. See, many of us switch this. We start with us, with our needs and our wants. Then we remember, oh, in Jesus' name, amen. But Jesus says, start with God, who he is, his name, his kingdom, his will. Then we get to you. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Not our bread for tomorrow or the next month or the next year. Give us our daily bread. In Jesus' day, it wasn't uncommon for a worker to work a day and get a day's wage at the end of the day, and that was it. They weren't like saving up for their kids for college. This was like a a one-day thing, living day by day, working day by day, and receiving their daily wages. See, Jesus is teaching to live in dependence on God, in faith that God will provide for today. And when tomorrow rolls around, he'll provide again. But Jesus recognized that our physical needs are not our only needs. Just ask Maslow that. He could tell you all about it. Our physical needs aren't our only need. If bread is the first need of the body, forgiveness is the first need of the soul forgiveness is our spiritual need he says forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors i mean clearly we do need forgiveness anyone in here not need forgiveness that's what i thought we all clearly need forgiveness and and that's the work that jesus did when he came down and died on the cross the forgiveness of our sins. Our souls need forgiveness, just like our bodies need bread. And then Jesus addresses another spiritual need of ours, protection. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. He acknowledges that by us being in this world, we are under attack. Our souls are under attack, and we need protection. We need his strength to avoid the evil one. And in all of these needs, in bread, forgiveness, protection, Jesus places us in proper perspective because having already started with a clear focus on God, we are reminded that we cannot provide these for ourselves. We might think we can, but through prayer, we recognize that God is the giver and we the receivers. He is the great provider. And we might be able to bake ourselves a a loaf of bread, but God is the one who provides the resources. We couldn't forgive ourselves. God had to do that. Christ offered the Ultimate forgiveness on the cross for all sins. And as a result, we know how to forgive because He forgave us first. See, we alone can't defeat death and darkness and temptation and evil. Only God can overcome those things and praise God that He already has. In all of our needs, we are helpless. And prayer gives us that proper perspective of ourselves. Prayer begins with a clear focus on God and his kingdom, and it places us in proper perspective. Now, you may have noticed, though, that I I skipped over a phrase right in the middle of Jesus' prayer, and I didn't forget it. Actually, I think that phrase is key to unlocking prayer. and so I wanted to leave the best for last. See, if prayer starts with God and does somehow include us, that little phrase in verse 10 pinpoints what the act of prayer actually is. See, ultimately, prayer is standing in the gap between heaven and earth and reaching one arm into heaven towards the arms of the Father and one arm down to earth and pulling the t- the two closer together. On earth as it is in heaven. This phrase is right in the middle of that clear focus on God and that proper perspective of us. Because God, in his foresight has placed us in that unique position between heaven and earth. We're right in the middle there. He's he's called us to this position of calling down heaven and still experiencing this physical earth. We're in between. That's why in 1 Peter and in Hebrews, we read about how we're not of this world. We're, We're sojourners. We're just passing through. Because we're both physical and spiritual. And we're standing and living on this earth, but we've also been given a taste of the eternal through the Holy Spirit living in us. And so prayer is standing in that gap between heaven and earth and pooling so that earth can be a little bit more like heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here, right now, as it is in heaven. And it's not just us reaching and pulling, but it's reaching and pulling expectantly. It's having faces fully lifted and believing that God's kingdom will be ushered down to earth here and now. Not because we're in the middle pulling and because we're strong enough to pull those together, but because God, Holy Father God, is able and desires to pour out His presence. He loves stretching His arms toward His children, reaching up so that earth and heaven are pulled together. Because what happens when we pray is we begin to make more sense of the world and God. I think of it like this. My family is a a mixed family, and uh, my mother is Mexican-American. She's got dark hair, dark skin, dark eyes. And my dad has German, European blood, and so he's got light features. Light, blue eyes, light skin and hair. And my brother looks a lot like my mom. Dark, all through and through. My sister looks a lot more like my dad, even with the features and everything. And so if you see my, my brother and my sister, You might be able to tell that they're related, especially if they open their mouths and start talking because they have very similar personalities. But just looking at them, you might be able to guess that they're related. But I'm the middle child. And so I stand in the middle. And when you have all three of us lined up, then both sides make so much more sense. You can see the connection. When I'm standing in the gap there, you can see how we're all related. See, that's kind of what happens when we pray. When we pray and we're standing in that gap in the middle, God makes more sense, and the world around us, even if it doesn't make more sense, we can clearly see God in the world and the need for God in the world. And so we pool, and then we begin to more clearly see God's presence here on earth. And not only that, but when we start pooling, we ourselves become more like Christ. See, Christ was the ultimate gap filler. He stood as the intercessory between heaven and earth, and he pooled. He bridged the gap between God and between man. And when we pray, we are joining him in that greatest work he did, closing the gap between the two. Though we could never possibly be him, we are becoming more like him. See, prayer is standing in that gap between heaven and earth and pulling expectantly calling down heaven to be brought onto earth on earth as it is in heaven so that we can make more sense of god and more sense of this world and becoming more like christ in the process and yet some of us are content using baby talk Sitting here on earth and throwing a temper tantrum instead of using our words. Whining about everything that's not right on this earth, which believe me, there's plenty of that. And sucking on our thumb and and just waiting for heaven to fall on our lap someday when we least expect it. Church, we need to grow up and start using our words. Writer, teacher, and pastor Andrew Murray wrote a book in 1885 called With Christ in the School of Prayer. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. And in it, he describes this act, this grown-up habit of prayer, and the many lessons that Scripture teaches on it. And he writes this. The father is a king and has a kingdom. The son and heir of a king has no higher ambition than the glory of his father's kingdom. In time of war or danger, this becomes his passion. He can think of nothing else. The children of the father are here in the enemy's territory, where the kingdom, which is in heaven, is not yet fully manifested. What more natural, then, that when they learn to hallow the father name, they should long and cry with deep enthusiasm, thy kingdom come the coming of the kingdom is the one great event on which the revelation of the father's glory the blessedness of his children the salvation of the world depends on our prayers too, the coming of the kingdom waits shall we not join in the deep longing cry of the redeemed thy kingdom come let us learn it in the school of jesus thy will be done as in heaven so on earth are you reaching are you praying are you seeking heaven to be pulled closer down to earth in your family in our church in our nation It was never meant to be something complicated or scripted or monotonous or boring. It's just using our words. That simple act of standing in the gap, looking up at God and around at this world and pulling on earth as it is in heaven. One of my favorite places to use my words is around the table. Growing up, my family would spend hours around the table at dinner just talking. And that was always important to us because it was a way for us to kind of pull our worlds closer, to gain perspective on each other's lives and worlds. And, and even just the other day, my parents were in town for a full 36 hours, but we found ourselves catching up around the table over a cup of coffee. And we just talked. We caught up on each other's worlds for a couple hours, and it was such a sweet time to be able to just catch up with them. And so what better place for us to practice using our words and expectantly pooling than in communion around the table today? The table where we take time to remember Christ's sacrifice for us, when he stood in the gap on our behalf and to look forward to the day heaven's glory will be victoriously and ultimately ushered once again down to earth and we will be brought into the fullness of his glory in heaven so right now we're going to move into a time of communion and if you have placed your trust in jesus christ As Lord and Savior, and you're living in right relation to him and to others, we want to invite you to come forward and join us at the table. You'll notice that the setup is a little bit different today. The stations are a little bit more spread out, which is intentional. And when you come forward, you'll actually take two cups that are stacked on top of each other. One has the bread and one has the juice. And you'll go ahead and partake the elements here up at the front. And uh, then return to your seat afterwards. And if you're not able, uh, we'll have people that can help you uh, as as well. uh, We've got in the middle here, we've got gluten free elements. And so we want to invite you to come and join. But before you come forward, I want you to take some time to commune with the Father, to pray, to stand in the gap between heaven and earth, and to pool. Because we sometimes have a tendency, I think, to rush to the table and skip the table conversation. But I'd like for us to just take some time sitting, enjoying the holy presence of the Father, inviting His world into this world, and, and scooching in just, just so you can be closer to Him. So you could just like reach out and take His hand. Maybe you have a particular situation you need to stand in the gap for. You need to pool. Maybe on behalf of yourself or your family or our church family. Or maybe you just need to take a moment to return to that proper perspective of who God is and who you are. Maybe you need to confess self-reliance or reflect on who God has been to you lately or maybe you just haven't prayed in a really long time, or maybe ever, and you've fallen out of the habit of praying for whatever reason, and you just need to take some time in that simple practice of learning to use your words. Whatever it is, take this space to do that. We've built in plenty of time to be able to do that, either at your seat or here at the altar. But don't skip out on the table conversation. Matthew twenty six, twenty six or through 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father and Holy God, We praise you for providing your Son to stand in the gap on our behalf. Would you more clearly paint the picture of the great cost of that salvation and the great love you pour out on us? Holy God, we ask you to consecrate this bread and cup prepared before us so that as we partake in remembrance of you, we may receive the grace made possible through Christ's body broken for us and blood shed for us. We ask these things in your holy name, Abba, Father. Amen. And now, take some time at your seats, at the altar, to converse with the Father before you come to the table. And after you've done that, come, take, eat and drink in remembrance of him. And now would you join me in praying that model prayer that Jesus offered to us in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now would you stand with me to receive the benediction? May you go out with a deeper desire to reach towards heaven through the words that you pray and may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. You are sent out.